0: I need to lay the foundation for the whole series. I don't know if it's going to be three or four sermons. It might be five. It might be... I don't know what it's going to be. God knows. But I feel like this sermon has to lay the foundation for the whole series. So my introduction is the whole sermon. Okay? So, please bear with me uh, as we consider the creation account, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. In the beginning... God created the heaven and the earth. Arguably the most important words ever spoken or written by mankind. Arguably the most important verse in the Bible. If Genesis 1-1 is true, the implications for mankind are nothing less than eternal. We have a creator, therefore we have a lawgiver... And we have a judge to whom we will give an account. It matters. If Genesis 1-1 is true, it matters every single day when we get up how we live. If Genesis 1-1 is true. If Genesis 1-1 is false, ultimately nothing at all really matters. Existence is senseless and meaningless the philosophy known as nihilism. We are merely grown-up germs, as one pastor said, waiting to become manure. If Genesis 1-1 is false, everything is senseless and meaningless. Genesis 1-1 is without question a theological proposition, but it is also an anthropological uh, proposition. But what I want to say to you is it is also a scientific proposition. Genesis 1.1 1, 1 contains within it a highly acclaimed scientific truth. The 19th century philosopher Herbert Spencer outlined five ultimate scientific ideas that govern everything we can know in the physical realm. Now, this taxonomy and his categorization, it was highly acclaimed in the scientific community. They are... Time, force, action, space, matter. I hate to throw around the word plagiarism, but honestly, all Spencer had to do was read Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, time, God, force, created, action, the heavens, space, the earth, matter. All he had to do was open up his Bible. And read the words of Moses recorded 3,500 years earlier. I love what Nobel Prize winning Arno uh, Penzias says in this regard. The best data we have are exactly what I would have predicted had I nothing uh, to go on but the first five books of Moses, the Psalms, and the Bible as a whole. Stephen J. Meyer echoes Meyer is a Cambridge-educated physicist, geologist with advanced degrees in molecular biology and evolutionary theory. Meyer says this, and this is what I want you to get. This is the foundation I want to lay for Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Meyer says, science done right always points. Can you guess? To God. Science done right always points to God. I'm going to stop a minute. I want to tell you uh, why I'm preaching Genesis 1 and, and uh, what I hope to communicate to you uh, as we look at Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. You know, sometimes I get, con- I get accused of preaching too much theology because it's not relevant and practical. I would say uh, wrong. It's imminently uh, relative and I- imminently practical in your life it matters every single day if Genesis 1 1 is true it matters every single day in your life first and foremost I'm preaching Genesis 1 God has led me to do it I can't explain it he's led me to do it apparently God believes this is something we need to hear right now you and I both we need to revisit the Genesis account secondly what do I hope to communicate and accomplish in this series first and foremost that we would stand in awe and worship this awesome, spectacular, omnipotent Creator God. He speaks and galaxies stand forth. First, to worship for any thinking person. <laughs> for any thinking person, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 is breathtaking. If you really think about it. It is breathtaking. Two, for those of you who have been taught that macroevolution is a scientifically proven fact, I want to encourage you to catch up with modern science. Science done right points to God. And I want to say to you if you know anything about current scientific discoveries, Darwin and his adherents are on the run. I am not on a biblical or spiritual religious vendetta i'm trying to communicate truth to you and if you will read this book it'll knock your socks off if you haven't if you're not current on science these books are free by the way so if you like one come and get one i love what phd bill craig says cosmologist regarding the current scientific discovery he says this The situation is exactly reversed from 100 years ago. The shoe is on the other foot. The Christian can stand confidently with the biblical record knowing it is in line with mainstream astrophysics and cosmology. I love that quote. Cosmology, big word for the study of origins. Listen to what else he says. It is the atheist and the naturalist who feels uncomfortable now and tends to be marginalized with respect to science done right. The third thing I hope to communicate is that God's Word can and should be trusted by His people. Genesis 1 and 2, God says what He means. He means what He says. He's unambiguous and so should you be. God is unambiguous and you should be as well, Christians don't have to accommodate unproven and increasingly discredited theories of men. We don't have to import macro-Darwinism into Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. I know that many so-called churches have done that. And they teach something called theistic evolution. What I'm saying to you is, your friends, friends, is it's not necessary for us to do that. You cannot get evolution from the text. If you simply read the text and take it at face value, you cannot get, you cannot extract the proposition of macroevolution from the text. It has to be imported in there. And we don't have to do that. I've often heard Christians say that I believe the Bible. I believe God's the Creator. It doesn't matter to me if He's done it by evolutionary processes or not. I understand that statement. I may have said that statement myself some many years ago but my point is we don't have to talk like that because science done right is on our side it does point to a creator science done right points to a creator so we don't have to talk like that we don't have to import discredited theories into the genesis account We don't have to marry macro-Darwinism into Genesis 1 and 2 to maintain our intellectual integrity. Now, I know that's a shock to some of you. And I I know that I'm subject to great ridicule by any and all of you and any who, who actually listen to this on the podcast. But, hey, that's never bothered me before. And it doesn't bother me. Now... I want to say, we don't have to marry macro-Darwin evolutionary theory into Genesis 1 and 2 to maintain our intellectual integrity. In fact, I would contend the opposite is true. I want you to hear me. We must reject macro-Darwinism on intellectual grounds. Did you hear me? We must reject it on intellectual grounds. And if we're doing our reading and our research, we will reject it on intellectual grounds. You won't do it simply because the preacher says to. If you do the reading, you will reject it on intellectual grounds. We must reject macro-Darwin evolution on intellectual grounds. That's every bit as much a scientific assertion as it is a theological one. And let me explain macro-evolution. that's just the theory that uh, things are evolving uh, vertically. Species are becoming other species. Okay? You know, the, you know the famous tree, Darwinian tree, which exists nowhere in the fossil record, by the way. But listen to Professor Louis Bonua, French guy. Listen to what he says formerly the president of the Biological Society of Strasbourg and director of the Strasbourg Zoological Museum and is now the director of research at the French National Center of Scientific Research. You're going to love this, I think. He says, evolution is a fairy tale for grown-ups. He says, the theory has helped nothing in the progress of science. I want to, this is a different kind of sermon. I'm going to be quoting a lot of scientists today. I know for some of you who are mature Christians, you, you, I know that may bug you a little bit. You say, well, Jim, all I need is the Word of God. I understand that. But I'm doing this. I'm laying the groundwork for the benefit of the immature Christian or the unbeliever who happens to be sitting in this church. I'm laying this groundwork for them. They need to hear what's imminent, prominent, Scientists are saying and writing. You need to hear it. You're not going to hear it in the media. You're probably never going to hear it in the university. They have their own agenda there. And you say, well, Jim, you've got an agenda too. Yes, I do. It's the truth. I have an agenda to share the truth with the people God has entrusted to me. So I'll be quoting a lot of scientists tonight. So just please bear with me. This is almost going to be like... A lecture back at university so please bear with me please very very briefly let me just go through some of the the scientific disciplines that are beginning to argue for a sudden creation event okay first paleontology the study of fossils the fossil record is a huge problem for Darwinists it does not reveal the gradualism necessary to support Darwin's model. There are no intermediate transitionary uh, forms in the fossil record. The ones that have, been afo- have have allegedly been found in the past have been found to uh, be somewhat fraudulent. In fact, the fossil record reflects a sudden explosion of fully formed and diverse body types. It's called the Cambrian Explosion. Harvard geologist Stephen Jay Gould calls this the trade secret of paleontology. We don't tell the public we don't really understand or see any evidence for macro-Darwinism. That's not what we tell the media. That's not what we tell the public. That's not what we tell men and women at the university. Niles Eldridge is a paleontologist. He says this, We have said that macroevolution is supported in the fossil record, all the while knowing that it is not. I'm quoting scientists, okay? Don't take my word for it. You go do your own reading. You go do your own reading. And you study for yourself. Second, uh, cosmology. The study of the origins, uh, the origins of the universe. The, the, this, this, this universally accepted argument that the universe had a beginning. It's called, in, in scientific parlance, it's called the Big Bang. The the uh, universe had a beginning. It's not eternal. It's not static. Darwinists love to make the point, or they try to allege that it's a, that it's eternal. They can't do it anymore. Big Bang cosmology has refuted that. So they're doing a lot of other goofy things uh, to get around that. You'll have to read on that for yourself. But uh, this cosmology is supported by Einstein's theory of relativity and the Big Bang hypothesis. It is a severe blow to the Darwinists. Number three, physics and astronomy. I love this. The fine-tuning aspect of the earth. It's called the anthropic principle. The just-so conditions needed for you and I to survive on this planet. The precision in the physics from gravity, the energy density of space, the electromagnetic force, the nuclear force, etc., 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 the carbon cycle, the oxygen cycle, the nitrogen cycle, the phosphorus cycle, etc., 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 to the proximity of the earth, to the sun and the moon, argues for design. It argues for that. The fine-tuning is astonishing. Fourthly, the, the biochemistry. Some of you know this. The irreducible complexity at the molecular level. Darwin actually said this in his Origin of the Species, and I agree with Darwin on this one. He's exactly right. Darwin says... If it can be demonstrated that any complex organism existed which could not possibly have been formed by numerous successive slight modifications, my theory would absolutely break down. Brothers and sisters, it has been scientifically demonstrated. Evolution's a fairy tale, macro evolution. Someone's calling me, they've heard about the sermon. They want to know what I'm talking about. But I'm not going to talk to them. I'm going to hang up on them. Call mom back later. Fifth. Fifth. Genetics. The stunning evidence of molecular genetics. The staggering amount of biological information embedded in every cell. DNA. deoxy ribonucleic acid darwinists cannot begin to explain where all the information came from matter and energy does not give rise to information information transcends matter and energy the cell is the single cell is proclaiming the glory of the creator god number six mathematics in relation to the complexity that permeates all of creation down to the single cell. The simple laws of mathematical probability rule out the possibility of such complexity and function coming into being by random chance. Uh, you're going to love this, I think. The probabilities of one short functional protein uh, molecule coming into existence randomly is one chance in a 100,000 Trillion, 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 trillion. Ten with 125 zeros behind it, beloved. That's just one molecule. That's just one molecule, not to mention bumblebees and badgers and and galaxies and um, complex ecosystems. That's one cell. To extrapolate these kinds of odds to highly organized, complex, and functional life forms on the earth, as one scientist says, is to invoke a naturalistic miracle. Not only is it something from nothing, which is logically and rationally impossible, it's an amazingly complex, synergistic, functional, and interdependent biological or environmental system. I'm not exaggerating when I say this. It takes a larger faith statement to be a, a, a macro Darwinist than it does to be a Christian. You have to believe, if you're a macro Darwinist, you have to believe that. No one plus nothing equals everything. That's what you believe. If you are a strict uh, Darwinian, that's a larger faith statement than in the beginning, an awesome God created it all. And He upholds it all by the power of His Word. Some of you might be legitimately asking me, well, why is this why if this is true, Jim, if what you're saying is true? Why is it not taught? That's a great question. You should go ask your administrators at the at your school and at the university. That's a great question. You should go ask them that. But we know, if any of us have done much reading, that there is a naturalistic and materialistic bias in modern science. Stephen Meyer is right, science. Science done right points to God and it inevitably yields up theological implications. Obviously, this is a great inconvenience to the atheist, the naturalist, and the materialist. And I'm just going to give you some quotes. I think uh, this will be uh, uh, interesting for you. I'm going to give you some quotes from scientists about their stand on some of these things. For example, the Big Bang Hypothesis. Which actually demonstrates that there was a beginning. This is a huge problem for Darwinists. If there was a beginning, how did the beginning begin? How did the beginning begin? Atheist Kai Nielsen said this Suppose you're standing, uh, suppose you suddenly hear a loud bang, and you ask me, What made that bang? And I replied, Nothing. It just happened. You would not accept that answer, would you? And yet billions of people on the planet accept it because they don't, they don't, they don't logically and rationally question it and they don't read for themselves. They are sheep who simply believe what the media tells them and what academia tells them. They don't read and study and learn on their own. So you can see the macro Darwinist problem here. And listen to some of these quotes. The British astronomer Arthur Eddington called the theistic implications repugnant. Talking about the implications that the universe began and they don't know how to explain it. He finds it repugnant. MIT's Philip Morrison says, I would like to reject it american astronomer robert jastrow says it is distasteful to the scientific mind in fact it is traumatizing biologist dms watson said this the theory of evolution is a theory universally accepted not because it can be proved by logically coherent evidence to be true but because the only alternative is special creation and that is clearly incredible paleontologist l t moore said our faith is in the idea of evolution uh, uh, depends upon our reluctance to accept the uh, antagonistic doctrine of special creation. Do you hear what these guys are saying? I refuse to believe that. Even if the data takes me there, I refuse to believe it. I won't go there. Even if the data takes me there, I won't go there. Anthropologist Sir Arthur Keith said this, evolution is unproved and unprovable. We believe it because the alternative is unthinkable. Scientists speaking candidly. Beloved, this is not essentially and ultimately about science. It's about a worldview. It's about an anti theistic worldview known as naturalism. Known as naturalism. Listen to PhD Jonathan Wells. You're going to like this quote, I think. My conclusion is. He's a molecular biologist. My conclusion is the case for Darwin evolution is bankrupt. The evidence for Darwinism is not only grossly inadequate, it is systematically distorted. If you've ever looked at a textbook and then actually read uh, about the examples they're showing you in the textbook, you will understand what it means when he says systematically distorted. I am convinced that sometime in the not too distant future, maybe 20 or 30 years from now, people will actually look back in amazement at how anyone could have ever believed this. Darwinism is merely materialistic philosophy masquerading as science and people are recognizing it for what it is. The fourth thing I want to accomplish in this, perp- in this series and I know tonight's different. Just give me grace. I'm trying to lay some groundwork. I'm trying to lay some groundwork. The fourth thing I want to accomplish is I want to convince you parents and you future parents that you must fight for the intellectual integrity of your children because the world will try to steal it away. The school, the media, they will try to indoctrinate your children with pseudo Science. So, one of my goals is, is to convince you as a parent and or future parent that you will teach your children the truth. You'll, ha- you'll educate yourself first, and then you will educate your children. Beloved, you owe it to your kids. You owe it to your kids to teach them the truth. To teach them the truth. So, I challenge every parent in here to do that. So, ICM, the International Church of Milan, is declaring itself with regard to origins. Yes, we know we'll be subject to scorn, insult, and ridicule from unbelievers. Yes, we know we'll be called unenlightened, uneducated, knuckle dragging Bible thumpers. Yes, we know that we are swimming upstream. Uh, Certainly against academia and the media and the world at large, but sadly, even in uh, what is called Christendom today, we are swimming upstream. Many uh, have acquiesced and accepted uh, theistic evolution into their, their dogma. It's a huge mistake. It's just simply not true. And many so-called even evangelical Christians are simply unwilling to take a position. There are many ministries that won't take a position. We're going to take a position. International Church of Milan is going to take a position. We categorically reject the illogical, irrational, unproven and increasingly discredited pseudo-scientific theories of men. We refuse to be influenced by them and we come to Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and we do not import atheistic and naturalistic presuppositions into this text. We unapologetically take God at His Word. I'm working on a, uh, a statement of faith for this church Uh, Here's what we're going to say about creation. We believe in the biblical account of the creation of the physical universe and mankind. We believe that this account is neither myth nor allegory, but a literal historical account of the direct creative acts of God. Apart from any evolutionary process, we further believe that all men are descendants from the historical Adam and Eve and share not only in their humanity but also in their sin so we know we've opened ourselves up to ridicule that's okay we stand on the word of God I know that's a long introduction but I feel compelled to lay the groundwork and all I have time left to do is conclude so I want to encourage some of you some of us in this in this room have been educated in this area Some of us have not, and I want to exhort you to educate yourself. Don't take my word for it. If you do, you will stand in awe of a beautiful, spectacular, majestic, omnipotent Creator God. For those of you who are in here who are unbelievers, if you'll simply follow the data, you might run into your Creator there. I know men who have been converted. Simply following the data. Good science points to God. For the believer, I want you to to become educated that you might afresh and anew worship your awesome Creator God. What is His name? What is your Creator God's name? Someone tell me His name. What's His name? Jesus Christ is His name. John 1. 1 through 3, in the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, Jesus Christ was in the beginning with God, all things came into being by Jesus Christ, and apart from Jesus Christ, nothing came into being that came into being, amen, Jesus Christ is the Creator God, Colossians 1, for by Him, Jesus Christ, all things were created, both heaven and on earth. All things have been created by Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is before all things. And in Jesus Christ, all things hold together. The biblical assertion, not only was creation spoken forth by the power of the Word of God, His name is Jesus Christ. So, I'm just going to close and make a few comments about Genesis 1 1. Genesis Genesis 1 1 delineates eternity from from the beginning, uh, uh, eternity passed from uh, the beginning of time and space. The Bible is clear God is eternal. Any of us in here at all that are Christians, we understand that. God calls himself I am, it's connoting his transcendent self existence. The God who just everlastingly is. He is the only uncreated one in the cosmos. This gives rise to two questions. If God is eternal, what has He been doing? What has He been doing all this time? And the other theological question that that comes to mind, at least to me, is why would He choose to create at all? Uh, The theological answers to these questions are let me just quote A.W. Pink here. There was, there was nothing, no one but God, and that not for a day, a year, or an age, but from everlasting. During a past eternity, God was alone, self-contained, self-sufficient, self-satisfied in need of nothing. Francis Schaeffer said, said in eternity past, the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit existed in perfect love and communication. There was a, there was a perfect uh, love affair going on in the, in the Trinity. And God was infinitely full infinitely happy, infinitely joyous. God did not create because He needed a friend. God created out of His fullness, not out of His need. Piper said it the best, I think. In creation, God went public with the glory that reverberates joyfully between the Father and the Son. There is something about the fullness of God's joy that inclines it to overflow and share itself. So the eternal happiness of the triune God spilled over... All of God's works in creation are simply the overflow of God's infinite exuberance for His own excellence. I really want you to always remember that sentence. Creation is simply the overflow of God's infinite exuberance for His own excellence. God's glory and His joy and His life and His love and His passion explodes into creation. It is irrepressible. He's an irrepressible. An irrepressibly awesome God. And creation is is almost like a volcanic explosion of His power and His might and His genius and His glory and His beauty and His happiness. I'm almost done. Psalm 19, 1 and 2. I'm going to quote to you from the paraphrase. God's glory is on tour in the skies. Godcraft craft is on exhibit across the horizon. Madame Day holds classes every morning. Professor Knight lectures uh, each evening. You're supposed to read God off the creation. That's what you're supposed to read. When you look at it, when you actually look at the, the immense complexity of your own body, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, as David said, You are supposed to read God off that, not random chance and chaos. You're supposed to read genius and almighty power off of the created order. You may remember Romans 1.18, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. So every man is without excuse God says, my fingerprints are everywhere. Open up your eyes and see and believe. God says, creation puts His Godness on display. What I want to say to you, do you see what an insult it is when men say all this genius and power and complexity, it's just a, a result of random chance. Do you see what an insult that is to God? Do you see it? We'll talk more about that through the series. It's arrogant, it's haughty, it's ignorant, and it's a damning insult to the Creator God. And let me just remind you, the most astonishing thing the Bible says about the Creator. No, it's not that He did it in six literal days. It's, you know, He could have done it in six literal nanoseconds. But do you know what the most awesome thing is about that the Bible says about about the Creator God oh it's it's the Creator God he's in the manger oh oh it's the Creator God he's in the temple teaching it's the Creator God he's on the he, he no he's on the mount preaching I don't want to forget that one it's the Creator God he's hanging on a tree to redeem his people friends this is a love story it's an awesome love He is the creator. He is the awesome creator. Don't you dare bring Him down. Don't you dare bring Him down. His genius is on display and He puts His display in His glory. Uh, he puts it on display that you might see and come to Him. That He might be your Savior. How can we not worship a God like this? How can we not love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Jesus Christ is our Creator and our Redeemer. This is unbelievable. I've told you before, I would never believe this if God didn't tell me this. I would never believe it. If it wasn't written in the Bible, I would never believe that the Creator God was the Redeemer God. I I could never believe that God would humiliate Himself like that and sacrifice Himself like that. But that is the message of the Bible. The awesome Creator God is the crucified, buried, and risen Savior. The writer of Hebrews said it perfectly. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we worship You. You're awesome. You speak. And everything stands for You're awesome. God, some of us in here need to revisit our worldview. Some of us in here need to revisit the science. Some of us in here need to revisit the Word of God. Father, You called us to give testimony to a God whose glory is is clearly visible in the created order. Oh God, help us to be men and women like that. May we take our stewardship seriously. May we give a good witness to the glory of a Creator God who is also the Redeemer God. Lord, I pray You'll bless us as we, as we go through this study. Thank You for this, this groundwork that You've laid tonight. As we look deeper into the Word next time. Thank You, Father. Help us. Help us to get the ground under our feet so we're not intimidated out in the world. Help us, Father, to be courageous to stand on the rock and speak the truth, whatever the consequences are. That's what you call your children to be. Just, just love people enough to tell them the truth. It doesn't matter how many insults and, and come. It doesn't matter. Help us, Father, to be a courageous people, a people who speak the truth, a people who educate themselves. We pray in the beautiful name of our Creator and Savior, Jesus Christ. Adam is going to sing a short song, and we're going to partake of the table. Um, Everybody who has professed Christ as Lord and Savior, and who has followed Him in baptism, you're welcome to come and partake of the table. We have open communion here. Don't come in an unworthy manner. Confess your sin. If you're unwilling to give up a sin, don't come to the table. Paul said, he told the Corinthians, he said, don't come to the table if you're not willing to forsake your sin and confess it. But if you're willing to lay it aside, lay aside your sin and come and, and remember what Jesus did. Remember the worthy sacrifice of Christ. Come and celebrate that your sins are forgiven in Christ. Come and celebrate. So as Adam plays, come and take the bread, take the juice. Don't partake. Go back to your seat. When Adam finishes, I'll stand and read a text, and then we will partake. Okay.